Hello. Hey, how's it going? It's going pretty well. How are you doing? I am doing pretty dang well. Um, I've been getting periodic updates from Shelly and Matea. They are in Aizal, India, and they are just loving their time out there. They're just loving on kids and getting into the community, doing kind of VBS type things, playing, playing endless games with the kids. They are just soaking it up. And especially Matea, who's 16 and this is her first time out of the country. Just everything is so new for her. It's, it's really, really cool to hear from them. So I'm doing great. I'm missing them a ton, but I love hearing their updates. That's awesome. Well, boy, I, I hope that they listen to at least one episode of our podcast while they're over there, because then we will have an international audience. And that's an exciting <laughs> thought. Well, so I have a missionary friend down in Lesotho, which is a tiny little country uh, all enveloped in South Africa. And every now and then he will download our episodes and I'm like, oh, hey, we we're, we have an international audience. But I'm sad to say my wife downloaded some episodes before she left. So we got Oregon credit and not India credit for those lessons. Oh, bummer. Okay, well, all right. Well, we'll live with it then. But <laughs> yeah, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I am also... Uh, without my wife right now, there is a an annual Christian counselors conference. I actually don't know if it's counselors in general or Christian counselors, but there's an annual conference that she is presenting a paper at, and she was invited to be on the steering committee of the organization, and so she is gone most of this week to be at the steering committee meeting and then to attend the conference. So I am also deeply missing my wife and fully recognizing that uh, we two schleps are staying home while our wives go change the world. Right. Yes, 100%. They're out there doing the hard stuff. We're just talking into a microphone, (laughs) asking, how are you doing? How are you doing? (laughs) All right. So... I've got a question for you. There's just something that's been on my mind. It's very evident to our listeners. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast. The fact that I am really feeling that I need to slow down. I need to do less. uh, I need to rest more. But enveloped in all of that is this idea of having fun. And I've really wanted to just, I don't know, unwind a little bit do things that are just for nothing but fun for no other reason than I just have, I don't have enough fun in my life. And I think my family recognizes that we don't have enough fun. So I would like to do fun things with my family. I would like to do fun things with my friends. I would like to be a fun person, but I don't do that very well. I don't do it very well at all. And you and I have talked about this offline, and I think it's hilarious that we've actually intended to have this conversation on the podcast for a while now, and it keeps getting pushed back. Like, hey, what is fun and how do we do it? And we keep pushing it off and pushing it off and pushing it off, largely because neither of us are good at this. 
So I want today to be the day. I want us to actually talk about fun. And I don't know what's going to happen because neither of us are great at this, but I have a million questions. So if you don't mind, I would love to just start with definitions. I think we often start with definitions. What in the world is fun? That's good. Uh, Let me back up a step before we jump into the definition uh, and just tell you where I'm coming from on this, because I struggle with this idea as much as you do. And I just want to start off by noting that my starting point is that if I start doing something that's fun, that is not functional in some way, I start to feel bad about it. Mm. And that seems like an important acknowledgement to have in the middle of this conversation, which brings me to this idea of definition. You either have to say that for something to be fun, it is either recreational in the sense of restorative or it is non-functional, right? Like play, which is associated with fun in some sense, is not play if it's too controlled, if it's if it has too much order imposed upon it. Maybe, but I would say like it's almost baseball season. Uh, as we record today, Major League Baseball starts in two days. And my fun thing that I have planned for myself this summer is I want to watch a lot of baseball. And so that's on my mind a lot. And if I think about the game of baseball, it has a lot of rules. It is very structured, but it is still a game and you still play it. So maybe I'm missing the definition that you're trying to give me. Well, no, I think you make a great point. I think Major League Baseball is fun for you. I doubt it is fun for the Major League Baseball players. I don't mean to say that it is a bad experience for them, but it's their job. And Mm. if you absolutely had to practice baseball as much as they do, had to make sure that the way that you are going to function in baseball determined how you eat, how you sleep, how you breathe, the ways in which you use your body on and off the field, who you're friends with, every minute of every day, I suspect it might still be meaningful, it might still be lucrative, it might still be important, but I doubt it would be fun. Am I, like, do you think I'm wrong there? No, I think you make a good point. I mean... It's funny how my brain wants to make something so much an either or. And so I Mm. automatically think when you're saying that, I'm having to fight against the impulse that says, okay, well, it's not drudgery, so it must be in some level fun. But you're not saying it's drudgery. You're saying it wouldn't fit the definition of fun because even if it's enjoyable, it doesn't have that carefree nature that your definition of fun seems to require. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I think, you know, I was going to use the word spontaneous and I didn't really like it because I don't mean that it's necessarily unplanned out in that sense. I think carefree is exactly right. Fun is something that happens in the margins of our lives. 
in the relaxed, low-pressure moments of our lives. So you're really hitting on something that strikes to the heart of my problem. You're talking about low-pressure, low-stress, relaxed state of being. And my life doesn't have a lot of that. And I think that's why I feel this pressure about fun, because I feel like fun is the place you arrive at when your cares actually start falling off and you don't have so much worry or concern or pressure or you're not staring at deadlines or whatever. And my life just doesn't have that. I mean, even if I you know, were to stop going to school right now, I have a house that needs a lot of projects. I have a yard that needs a lot of projects. I have lots and lots of responsibilities that I've been shunning and putting to the side so that I can do school. So like the pressure never goes away. And so how do you, how do you have fun? If fun is only possible when it's low stress, low pressure, how do you have fun? No, I think this is a great question because, and it, at least for me, it reminds me of something you said a couple weeks back about Sabbath. You said something to the effect of, is Sabbath worth it even if I don't get all my stuff done? Yeah. Do you remember saying something like that? Oh, I think it all the time. So yes. Yeah, okay, great. You know, one of the things you implied there is that the discipline of Sabbath is about, it is about more than simply taking a day to stop doing things. It requires a mindset in which I surrender my productivity in certain situations. It's, I'm going to take a Sabbath, and that means certain things aren't going to get done, and, and okay, I fully accept that. That implies to me, at least, the ability to step out of productivity for a while. And I think maybe that's part of what fun requires in our lives the way they are. Because we're certainly not saying get rich so that you don't have to have real life responsibilities and you can hire a nanny and you don't have to go to work and then you can have fun. I don't think that's what we're talking about. And I guess I'm proposing this as a hypothesis for you to say, yeah, that seems to make sense, or for you to propose something in contrast to it. But my proposal would be that we are invited by the freedom of the gospel to cultivate a mindset in which we can set aside certain times to say, all those house projects, all that education, all the changes the world desperately needs and the people dying and the work that the church needs and the lawn and, and all that stuff. I'm going to just turn all that off for a while now. Right. I, I do think, yeah. So I think you asked, not in these words, but I think you asked, does this pass the smell test? It, 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 does, this, does this seem to add up? And I think on one level it does. I, I don't think you're wrong. Here's how I experience that, though. I can stop doing the things and I can stop worrying about the things and just kind of pretend they don't exist for a while. But there's something 
gnawing at me. There's something that says, no, you're just putting them off. They still exist. You still have all these demands. And there's this perpetual sense of being behind that I just have, Mm. I have so much to do. I need to get caught up. I need to get caught up on this book. I need to get caught up on that paper. I need to get caught up on the yard work. I need to get caught up on the house projects. I need to get caught up with my family relationally. I need to get caught up with my friends. I, I just, I'm playing from behind all the time. And so even if I stopped doing the tasks, there's still this residual feeling of being behind and stopping the tasks doesn't really help that feeling of being behind. This makes total sense. This is why I started by saying, if I ever choose to have fun, I will start feeling bad about it. So I have two observations about this. One is that we are thinking in very discrete terms. We are thinking as if there is a category of or a box in which we can put activities that are things that need to get done, and another box in which we can put other things that are things that don't need to get done and therefore possibly might be fun. I note this because this is a very Josh from Missouri way to think. (laughs) And And Josh from Oregon, let's just be honest. And Josh from Oregon, yep, but it's a very us way to think. I feel like if I were to invite my wife to talk about this the way that she lives, I don't think she would describe it that way. I think she might describe fun almost as an attitude or approach to life that allows you to take delight in whatever you happen to be doing, that allows her to operate at a slower speed but still get more done because she's not trying to rush at a million miles an hour at one moment. Therefore, she doesn't need to stop for long breaks at other moments. She's just sort of always choosing to go at a rate or with an attitude or a heart posture or an approach to life that I think she is generally just having fun with all of it. And so that's a really long pause to say, I think I proposed a very discreet way of understanding these categories. That is not the only way. And I'm just not sure what to do. Uh, I I suppose I'm trying to insert my wife's thoughts into this conversation because I, I really value the way she comes at it. But what do you think about that as a different sort of approach to thinking about fun? Yeah, and it is a large part of the way I've been thinking lately. Honestly, it started for me way back a number of months ago You, when you were actually there. You were there for a, my final mentored formation meeting between um, you, me, my mentoring professor, and Dean. I was reflecting on the fact that I wanted to slow down. And he basically kind of said, well, yeah, it's not the absence of tasks. It is, it's a mindset. It's a, it's a way of living life amidst the tax tasks. And I agree with that, 
but I've been wrestling ever since with, okay, well then how do I, how do I get there? How do I get to that mindset? And I don't know fully how to do that. I have examples of other people, a few, only a few, honestly, but I don't have personal experience. I feel like I'm in the majority of people frantically trying to find some fun in life and suck the marrow out of it so that I can keep going. Yes. And I think that my discrete categories of work and fun or work and play, that approach tends to result in that way of feeling. Man, I've got this limited amount of time to have fun, so I got to hurry up and have some really good fun. And then there's a lot of pressure and then there's definitely not fun or there's how can fun ever live up to this sort of high watermark of expectations. Whereas I will say, I'm not sure how to distinguish between fun and joy in the ways that we're talking about them. They both sort of intersect in the idea of enjoying life. And I think I've said this on the podcast before, but One of my four words that I'm chasing this year is the word joy. I want to learn to be a joyful person. And if I were to grade myself on joy, I would say that I'm like a two or a three on a scale of zero to ten. So my question then I'm going to put you on the spot, but I'm also going to like pave your golden bridge out as well. I know that you have faced a lot of pressures so far in 2023 that I think could inhibit your pursuit of joy. So with that said, I I guess I'm because joy and fun seem to be so intertwined. I'd love to know what have you learned so far about pursuing joy? If that's one of your goals for this year, how I mean, have you had moments of success and what what made it happen? Boy, I am happy to answer this. I have a very, yes, I have learned a lot about this. I think I've said to you offline that I have felt like this was a an experience of huge amounts of spiritual growth and learning in the midst of the complicatedness for me. And what I've learned is like second grade Sunday school level material that turns out to be wildly profound. (laughs) Um, And what I've learned a little bit of, I don't mean to suggest that I've, I've like mastered. That's not what I mean by learned, but I have had some opportunities to practice and seen the beneficial results of genuinely learning what it means to practice trusting God. When something is wildly complicated, to say, God, this is something I can't handle, and so I am going to say right now, I need you to deal with this. And I know I'm allowed to say that. Because sometimes I don't feel like I'm allowed to say that. I feel like me and Jesus are in a partnership And the things that I am competent about, I'm supposed to deal with on my own. And when things are out of my league, then I can ask for help. But 
that's not the way it works. You know, I, I keep coming back to the fact that Jesus first partnering with Peter was in Peter's area of expertise when his expertise turned out to not be enough. And in that moment, he didn't need to assert his competence. He needed to just trust. And there are a lot of times I normally, just on a real practical level, I normally go to bed listening to an audiobook to keep my head clear. And many, many nights lately, I have shut the audiobook off, and whatever thoughts come to mind, I just find myself saying over and over again, God, I have been given the opportunity to do this myself or to trust you with it. And I am neither competent nor worthy to deal with it. And so I'm going to give it over to you. And when I let go of that stuff and genuinely, and it takes a lot of work and I'm successful maybe one time out of 10, but the times I'm successful in actually letting go There really is space in my heart and soul for me to enjoy the moment, whether that moment is enjoying the moment of falling asleep rather than having to stuff my ears full of sounds to try to keep my brain shut off or enjoying the moment I'm driving home because, again, I have found myself calmed down by this act of surrender, hopeful surrender or trust, that's what's made the difference for me. I'm thinking about too many things that I have no control over. Even if that's, what am I going to do about the conversation I have to have with my son or my daughter or my wife when I get home? Well, I'm not in that moment. And right now, I don't get to control that moment. So why hold on to it? I need to just trust that God will be with me in that moment. And it's okay even if I don't say exactly the right thing. Yeah, I think part of it has been learning to say, God, I trust you even if it doesn't go well. Because so much of my efforts to control are, the world is going to fall apart if this doesn't go right. Mm. I really like this. When you talked about trust, and particularly when you paired it with I can't. I don't know. I listed a bunch of things that I am competent to do. I can work on my yard. I can work on my house. I can do my schoolwork. I can go to work. I can connect with my friends. I can connect with my family. I can do all of those things. I cannot do all of those things simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And to trust God with the I can't. And here's the thing. There's a difference between saying I can't and leaving it at that, emotionally leaving it at that, and an actual trust that God can and that God will. Because I'm with you, I feel like all of those things that I just listed, they're they're my responsibility. They're nobody else's. It's not anybody mm-hmm. else's job to take care of my family, go to work, and all, you know, I don't need to go through the list. It's not anybody else's job to do those things. It's my job. So it is really hard for me to trust God for the things that I know I'm responsible for, but I just can't get to. 
Yeah, well, and this is to kind of bump this up on the, uh, you know, to inflate our theologicalness, theologicality, um, to inflate our theologicality. All right, we're totally publishing a dictionary for this show sometime. Just, I just want to say that. Um, you know, I'll say that I have a s- experience that resonates with what you just described. If I'm mowing the lawn, I'm thinking about the fact that I ought to be with my kids. If I'm with my kids, I'm thinking about the fact that I ought to be doing this church work. If I'm doing this church work, I'm thinking about how I ought to be doing this other church work. If I'm doing that other church work, I'm thinking about how I ought to be getting my oil changed. I can do any one of these things. I can't do all of them. What I'm grasping to be in that moment, perhaps, is God, right? I'm trying to be omnipresent. Mm. And in reality, what I need to do is to steal Lewis's beautiful phrase, I need to embrace my creatureliness, let myself do the one thing. Because how many things on your list, if you had absolutely free time and could do that one thing without distraction, what percentage of them would you enjoy? For me, it's most of them. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I, I really would. You're and exactly so it's right. Not the th- yeah, it's not the things that we don't like doing. It's the fact that we're not actually mentally present doing the things that we don't like. Well, yeah, you're exactly right. I don't like the fact that by doing this, I am not doing 15 other things. And yeah, yeah to just set all those aside or to trust God. I mean, I really love the fact that you, you use the word trust. Just to trust God, those things will be fine while I do this over here. Or at least, even if it's not fine, Mm. God can handle that too. Back to that, right? Even if it's not. Yeah, because I do not think that trusting God guarantees that the complicated conversation I'm supposed to have today is going to go well. I I don't think I'm guaranteed that. There's no promise of, of that. There's no promise that my, you know, my wife used, we have two cars, one that's a gasoline car and one that's an electric car. I wanted to get my oil changed because my wife was going to use my gasoline car and she's going to be driving quite a bit. And amidst the various things that needed to get done, the morning came, I had filled the car up with gas, I had not gotten the oil changed. There was no guarantee that trusting God meant I was going to be a perfect person and get all the things I wanted done. But it did mean that I'm an okay person who sometimes makes mistakes and doesn't get things done. And turns out my wife loves me anyway, and so does Jesus. And it's okay. Yes, 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 yes. God is his own category. God is not a... a a genie or some slot machine or something like that, that, you know, we trust that if we put the quarters in, we're going to get the return we expect. Um, yeah, exactly. It's, it's it, I don't get to use God to force the future. Right. And I love this. The, you know, God is his own category. But then to go back to Lewis's phrase, so then I need to embrace my creatureliness, which makes a very distinct difference between me and God. So 
Mm-hmm. I need to trust that God and God's realm is great and good, and I am a finite creature who is never going to get everything done, and it's okay. Exactly. Well, and and this, there's a lot of freedom in this kind of creatureliness. I think that makes space for fun, right? You're mowing your lawn, and it is worship to mow your lawn without worrying about all the other things, because it is is acknowledgement of your smallness and God's bigness. I can only do one thing. This is the thing I'm doing, and God. And that, to me, genuinely does make that worship. Yeah. Man, this is good. This has given me a lot to chew on. I have no way of putting a bow on this conversation and saying, there, we solved the problem. But, boy, this has given me a lot of fodder. Every bow we ever put on any conversation results in some version of, and that's why Jesus said the most important thing is to love God and love others. So I'm (laughs) assuming that it has something to do with that. Uh, Which, let me me use that as my turning point to those of you who are listening. First of all, we would love to hear your thoughts about fun. As I was implying earlier with my wife— I know that our perspective is very limited and you might have a completely different perspective. You might might be thinking, man, you are missing a huge piece of the puzzle here. And Mm. we would love to hear that on the uh, second hand. If you can wrap this conversation up and explain how fun clearly is a vital part of loving God and loving others, we would love to hear that too, because you get to wrap the conversation up just as much as we do. And so please, on any of our posts uh, on social media that we mention fun, please share any thoughts about what fun is all about or how it relates to the rest of the spiritual life or uh, anything else that this episode made you think about. We would really love to have you engage the conversation. Yes, please help us. <laughs> All right. Well, I would love to shift gears. And I know we don't do a lot of fun or we don't know quite how to have fun, but I know we know how to do a lot of thinking. So I yes. want to know, Josh from Missouri, what are you thinking about? Absolutely. Well, I think I shared previously on a podcast episode that I have been actively writing haiku poems uh, and I was inspired to do so by a book we've both read called In Praise of the Useless Life. And a haiku poem, just very simply put, is a poem that is three lines, five syllables, seven syllables, and five syllables respectively. And there's a lot of other stuff, and I've read a couple of books recently about them, and I just find it fascinating. But I texted you a haiku that I wrote recently about preaching. We have been intentionally gathering a preaching team at our church, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this haiku that tries to capture the essence of a sermon in 17 syllables. Uh, And so here it is. One passage, one point. In the mind, then in the soul, then out of the mouth. Mm. That sure describes my experience. But 
I'm I'm curious. I'm, I don't want to steal your thoughts. If you wanted to expound on that, um, I I am curious to get your thoughts about it. So my thought was really just that the experience of both writing and then rereading a haiku, because of its simple nature and its shortness, helps me to think and reflect on things. But I have not offered anybody the opportunity other than my wife to read anything that I've written. And so I'm curious, and I told you this before we even started recording, uh, I'm curious to get your unvarnished thoughts. Yeah. Okay, so my unvarnished thoughts are that when I preach, this is exactly what happens. I mean, it might be in a slightly different order. For me, I start with the passage and and then I cogitate on it. Uh, so in the mind might be next for me. And out of that, one point emerges and and all of that takes root and embeds in my soul and then and then comes out of my mouth, having been digested in the soul first. So I love this. And I think that good preaching involves kind of that digestion in the soul before it's finally preached. So I, I really love it. My, I guess what I'm spinning on, what I'm questioning is the order. And I think at times there might be a sermon growing up in your soul and it might reverse order. I mean, not out of the mouth, but it might grow up in your soul. It might move to your mind. You might have this one point and you might find the passage that communicates it. I think that other pathway is valid, just less common. But if it were to come in that pathway, I think, man, that's got to have a lot of passion and fire with it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and the other piece of haiku writing is that you're trying to say one single thing. And so my my intent was not to say it ought to be in this order. My intent was to say it involves these things. And really, you use the word digest at some point. A good sermon is a well-digested passage and a well-digested point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think you're absolutely right. A- and I think you're absolutely right. So thank you for sharing your own poetry on the podcast. There's something about a poem that the the author's soul is is embedded into it and there's something about preaching that a piece of our soul goes into that so i love it and i think you could teach a whole class on preaching off of that poem so yeah thanks for sharing I, that's fun it's i i'm not a poetry guy uh, i'm definitely not a haiku guy though i was really drawn to that uh, paul kennan idea of journaling through haiku but anyway, this is probably one of the first haikus that I'm like, yeah, I get this. This is good. Well, thanks. Good. I'm glad. It, it has been a fun way to journal for me. It's the first time I've ever journaled in a way that made me want to go back and reread my journal from various previous days. And I've really enjoyed the experience of capturing, instead of trying to capture a whole day, I'm just trying to capture a moment. And then I can go relive that moment through the haiku. And it's just been very fun. But what about you? What have you been thinking about other than uh, what we were talking about a few moments ago? Yeah. 
I'm glad it's so memorable that even the host can't remember, you know, one segment later. <laughs> you know, I tried to be very subtle there um, <laughs> and, and not acknowledge the fact that I could not remember what we were talking about, that my mind had gone blank. But uh, if you're going to call attention to it, I will say that I have now remembered and we talked about fun and it was a life-changing and profound conversation that I am deeply grateful for the ways in which it has uh, really stuck. Okay, all right. I've been, I'm cutting you off. I'm, I'm cutting you all off. Right. All right. Jeez. What else wow. have you been thinking about? <laughs> <laughs> How to toss you a shovel. Keep digging. All right. <laughs> so I've, I'm reading uh, John Steinbeck's East of Eden. I think we talked about that during our fiction episode, that I was either reading it or about to read it. And this has been such a good book with really well-crafted characters and plot and so well done that you cringe for these characters, you hurt for these characters, you understand these characters on just an, an emotional level. So anyway, really, really good stuff. But I was fascinated by one of the characters in particular. She is one of these old school, you know, turn of the 20th century from, you know, 1800s to 1900s, very Christian, very proper, you know, kind of says things like, don't try to understand the Bible, just read it. There's nothing to understand. It just is. So she's, she's strict. Mm. She's cold. She's rigid. She's practical. She's just down to business. Let's not overthink things. Let's just do things. And she she would often say something like, the good Lord will have a thing or two to say about that. And <laughs> one character is reflecting on this and says, it was amazing. I don't know. It, this is a direct quote, but basically the essence was, it was amazing how often she and the good Lord seemed to agree. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> right? And it, yes, it's awesome for the character and it's awesome for this reflection. But man, this is a really interesting question for me. How often does the good Lord agree with me, at least in my mind? And it makes mm. me wonder just how many times I have gotten God's thoughts wrong. I've gotten God's opinions wrong because I assume that God thinks like me. And I assume there's so many assumptions that I haven't even uncovered about myself and my own patterns of thinking that I am certain there are times where I assume without even knowing it, that God thinks like I do on a particular topic and about a, uh, in a particular moment. And mm. it's, it's a humbling question. Could somebody say this of me? Huh? It's amazing how many times God agrees with him. Wow. That anyway, it makes me want to come back to scripture and just embed myself in the worldview of the scripture and try to set aside my assumptions, try to just live into the story that it is telling. And really, with you know, as best I can, just get to know the God of the Bible, not the God of 21st century American Christianity. Not the God of my imagination, not the God that I want God to be, but who is he really and what does he really think? I think the willingness to acknowledge 
the difference between who God really is and who I think he is may be the starting point of all authentic growth. Hmm. You know, that's such a powerful thought. I, I, It's not where when you first read the quote from Steinbeck, it's not where I thought you were going. I thought you were going to say, from the tone of voice and the way it's being said, the good Lord doesn't seem very good. <laughs> but man, that's good. What a great thought. Uh, I'm going to be chewing on that uh, for quite a while here. We've got a lot of... Okay, so we've using we've used the chewing metaphor a couple of times. We've used the digestion. Did we fail to eat before this episode? Okay, full transparency. I have not eaten yet. <laughs> uh, so it that okay. may be and it may be that both of those came from me and it it may be a subtle reminder from my stomach that that it it's past dinner time. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Okay, well, let's somebody get uh, Josh from Missouri a canned sandwich. And in the meantime, <laughs> uh, all right, so let's answer the Witch Josh question and we'll get off this episode so you can go eat. This week's Witch Josh question is this Which Josh does not know how to blink properly? And I'm waiting for the theme song, and I don't remember it, so we'll just go do-do-do-do-do. And the answer is Josh from Missouri. I do not blink properly. Okay, this is Uh, awesome. When I saw this come up as the witch Josh, I was like, yes, I can't wait to hear this story. How in the world does a grown man not know how to blink? I just, sorry, don't mean to offend. I know you're hangry. No, it's all good. Uh, so I have mentioned more than once on the podcast, I'm sure, that I have pretty severe ADHD. And one of the things that happens with ADHD is that some of your autonomic body responses don't work quite right. Things really? that you don't have to think about, like blinking. And so they get interrupted. So periodically, and by periodically, I mean multiple times a day, I stop blinking. So much so that my eyes, as I've gotten, it's always been the case, but as I've gotten older, my eyes hurt more and more as a result of this. And I uh, have recently started having to use eye drops. I just don't blink often enough. And that leaves my eyes very dried out and therefore hurting. And so, yep. I, I genuinely don't know how to blink properly. Um, I, I will say it is fascinating to me as someone who's, who's lived with ADHD for his whole life and been mindful of it for many years. This is something that I just put together and, and really started to understand about myself fairly recently. Just one of those things that you Whenever you have certain issues in your life, you have to constantly keep learning more and more about them rather than assuming you know how they impact you. Otherwise, you may miss things. Mm. Yeah. That's cool. So we'll have to talk at some point. I would love to know how you, yeah, your exploration journey on all that. But we are at the end of this episode, and I am really looking forward to the next one. So are we on for next week? Absolutely. I can't wait. I'll talk to you then. All right. Talk to you then. Bye.
Alright, bye. What's the car plan?